Welcome to Sozo Talk Radio, the show where the host is too lazy to even pronounce so-so accurately. This is the most amazingly average to almost slightly better than mediocre broadcast that will be sure to astound you with impressive interviews and talk. Blah, 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 blah. Are they gone? Good. You can never be too careful. Illuminati spies are everywhere. But thankfully, they have notoriously low attention spans, and so it was necessary to fake them out with that utterly boring intro. Sozo is in fact a secret code word for soteriological bliss, an existential ecstasy that can only be found in relationship with and in childlike abandonment to our loving Heavenly Papa and our Master and Commander, the Good Shepherd, and our salvation, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, the Messiah. I am your host, Daniel Lovett. Let us embark upon a glorious adventure, exploring the depths and mysteries of Christ, one interview at a time. SozoTalkRadio.com Welcome to Sozo Talk Radio. Sozo Talk Radio. Um, here's what's awesome is that I, I prayed. I was like, Father, what's on your mind to talk about? Ah, nice. You know, and yeah. he gave me stuff. Uh, even this morning, I woke up at like really early before the sunrise and mm-hmm. writing down a few things the Lord was giving me. Nice. So I think you'll you'll be uh, you'll you'll have fun talking about this stuff too. Sweet, I'm I'm ready when you are. All right, welcome everyone to Sozo Talk Radio. I am on the line with William Paul Young, author of The Shack, which I do have a copy back here on the. Shack. If I could, I'd sign it right through there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, and I had the pleasure of meeting uh, Paul in person uh, back in June, the beginning of June. Uh, at the open table conference. It was, yep. it was so amazing. We got invited to come play the music and the highlight was just playing a song for you. Yeah. Thank <laughs> <Paul>. you. <laughs> that was song. such a great conference. Yeah. It, yeah. it really was. And we we do a couple of those a year and they're always so different. Yeah. And this one was, this one was uniquely wonderful. So. Yeah. Oh, indeed it was. And one of the Thank you for that, bringing the music too. Yeah, it's such a pleasure. It's our joy for sure. Uh, such a pleasure to hang out with you all too, and and get to know you and have some conversations. Um, but one thing that was highlighted at the Open Table Conference, I'll just I just want to bring it up real quick, was that, and this isn't even a really quick kind of thing to get into. I think we I think we should spend some time talking about this for sure. But about the Christ life within us, you know, uh-huh. and that was really really highlighted. We're going to touch on that later. That was a little preview of coming okay. attractions. Because <laughs> I, I want to talk about, first of all, just um, how, this, how this interview came about. It was kind of prompted by a, a friend, uh, now a mutual friend, uh, Travis. Yes, that was so cool. I, I just did a trip to Wichita and Omaha. And, um, and two really cool things happened. And, um, and one was... Well, lots of cool things happen, but I mean, on in transit, two cool things happen. Yeah. So on my way there, I'm in the Minneapolis airport, and I get to my, um, I get to my uh, gate, you know, to go to to go to Omaha first, because then I drove from Omaha to Wichita. 
And uh, so I'm going to Omaha and um, I look across, let's see if I can find this really quick and I can actually uh, uh, show it to you. And um, I have to find her though, so pardon the glasses. Yeah, it's okay. I'm getting old. Yes, it's true. But I don't feel like it. I have grandchildren. They keep me very young. But uh, I got to show you this picture. So I'm sitting, oh, there it is. So I'm sitting there. And can you see that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So there's a gal sitting right across from me and she's reading the shack, right? And so I kind of clandestinely take a picture of her and send it to my family, my daughters and Kim. And because uh, we have this little, thread that we always are putting stuff on for kids and grandkids and stuff. And, uh, and I immediately get a response from Lexi and she goes, dad, you're like, Hey ma'am, would you like me to sign your book? And Amy goes, do it, do it. And Kim, my wife, she goes, do it. And, and my phone was running out of juice, but right next to her was a outlet and I didn't have one on the seats that I was at. And so, and she had an empty seat right next to her. So I go sit down, plug in. I go, so where are you headed? And she's like, you know, Omaha. Like we're at the Omaha gate. It's not like a big mystery or anything. And, uh, and I said, so what are you doing there? And she says, well, I'm doing continuing education for the Department of Justice. I said, really? And, um, and I ask her a few questions about that. And then I say, hey, can I ask you a really odd question? She goes, sure. I go, would you like me to sign your book? <laughs> and she just has this puzzled look on her face and she looks at the book and then she looks at me and then she goes, oh, no, <laughs> it was so beautiful. And so, um, so I sign her book and she's thrilled. And then I send this picture back to my family. Her name's Vina. And Vina turns out, we, and we're meeting in Minneapolis airport, turns out that she's from Joseph, Oregon where Wallawa Lake is, and she's a member of the Nez Perce tribe, mm. and which is the entire setting for the shack, mm. wow. right? Because I talk about Chief Joseph, and I talk about Wallawa Lake, and it's, you know, the abduction happens just out at Wallawa Lake, just outside of Joseph, and so the search party, all that, it's all in that territory. Oh. And so I get to meet a lady on the way. So on the way home, I get to the Wichita airport, and. Uh, I haven't eaten all day. And, and, and I keep running into people that were at the conference that I was at, the apprentice conference for Friends University. And, um, and so I was like, hey, 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 you know, and we're talking and stuff. And, and so I, uh, they said, hey, I gotta, I gotta go get something to eat. And they go like, you wanna sit with us? We're gonna go in there. Cause it's one of the places that I ran into them was at the waiting line to get into the restaurant at the airport. And, uh, and I go, you know, I'm going to call Kim and catch up on a couple of things. And normally that's not my MO. Normally I'd have gone, ah, sure. But for whatever reason, it's just like, and so I go just a table for one. And, um, um, and it was to the left and there was another table for two people and table for two uh, next to it. And I take the second one and there's a young man sitting at the, at the first table. And um, so I go sit down and I call Kim and catch up with her and, order chicken wings and the least you could order were 10 and they 10 chicken wings and they come out big mm. and I'm going like, Oh, so I eat about four of them and I'm like, Hmm. 
So I go, hey, excuse me, to this young man. I said, I got all these chicken wings I'm not going to eat. Would you like something? He said, oh, I'm so sorry. I just, I just ate. And um, I said, that's okay. I got friends over there. I'll, I'll go pawn it off on them. So I walk over to the table and go like, anybody want chicken wings? And yes, absolutely. So I just, I leave them there. I go back and this young man says, hey, <clears throat> are you a producer? Which is a really odd question. Uh -huh. And I said, a producer? He says, yeah, you know, like in, in film, are you a producer? And I go like, no, but I was involved in a film, but, um, but I'm not a producer. He goes, I said, I said, why? He goes, what you just did, I've only seen done by friends of mine who are producers. It's very kind. It's very human. And so I thought, maybe you're a producer. Mm -hmm. And I go, no. He goes, so you were involved in a film? I said, yeah, I was involved in a film. He said, what was the name of it? I said, it's called The Shack. And his, his jaw drops, right? He goes, The Shack? You were involved in The Shack? And, and I said, yeah. And it turned out really beautiful. He said, oh my gosh. And he starts this crazy storyline, right? He says, what did you do? Like maybe I was electrical or film, you know, photography or something. Uh -huh. I go, well, I wrote the book. No, you didn't write the book. So it turns out his name is Travis Bell. Yeah. And he's on his way to Dallas, Texas or Houston, Texas. Yeah. One of the two. And, and we, we just have this really sweet exchange. And he's telling me about his mom and stuff. And, and he said, my dad. I said, you know what? I have these book plates I carry with me. See if I got one in my bag here. And I had two of them. So I wrote a little book plate for his dad and a little book plate for him. Mm -hmm. and, and since, and I put my little email on there and stuff. And since then we've been in touch. In fact, he, he um, emailed me. I got an email from him this morning. Oh, and uh, he was all excited about his friend, Daniel, who happens to be doing this interview. Yeah, that's and, right. Uh, I mean, that's how it got connected. So. I mean, yeah. I'm like, mm, thank you, Holy Spirit. We will have more, please. So. Yeah, exactly. How he arranges. Now, what I was thinking was, uh, well, first of all, yeah, my side of the story is like, I, I had just connected with Travis not too long before you in, in that, that airport there, um, or wherever it was, that bistro. Yeah. Um, and he'd been listening to my show and been connecting a little bit through exchanging comments through YouTube, Facebook. I, we became Facebook friends. Um, so I didn't really know him that well, but, um, there's one day in particular that, that I just felt prompted. Like when I saw him, his name on Facebook, I just felt prompted to like reach out to him and connect with him. So I ended up calling him and we ended up having this conversation. Um, and he's like, Daniel, you have no idea. You know, like there's something that you said in one of your, one of your talks that offended me. And I was like, I was like praying like that we would, get, we would get reconciled. I was praying we get reconciled wow. here. You're calling me like, what's going on. <laughs> and then when he was telling me about, you know, about his, his meeting with you. And he said, um, uh, you know, involved in the producing of a movie. I'm like, Paul Young. I just knew it right away. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so it was, it was so cool. That but, was so sweet. And he's a sweet, yeah, he is. he is. He's and he's a musician. I haven't heard he any is. of his music, but he is a musician. Yeah. Yes, he is. And that was something that you wrote to him. You told him about singing songs of hope. 
which I didn't know he was a musician at the time. Yeah. And, and it was just, I write different things, you know, and I write, sign people's books. So, so I, I, and, and I wrote, I written also, you have always been enough. Yes. Which, yes. and I always write, you matter. Every book I sign, even if it's, if they just say, just want your signature, I always write, you matter, you know, because that's a universal vacuum. People mm -hmm. don't know because, you know, we're one of seven and plus billion people and, and we get lost in the crowd oftentimes. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're comparing ourselves to some smoke and mirrors notoriety or platform or somebody else. And, and we don't know we matter. You know, yeah. that I was listening um, to NPR this morning and they were talking about how, f how fast the suicide rate is increasing. Hmm. And, um, and, and partly they said it's because of the discontinuity of, of connected relationships. You know, there used to be you grew up and in your, like, like when my kids grew up, grandpa lived with them. You know, Kim's mm -hmm. dad lived with us for 17 years before he passed away. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there was, a, there was an extended continuity. Plus Kim's family is very integrated. They're very present and she's got a huge family. And, but that's kind of unusual. And um, in, in the Western culture anyway, not unusual at all in the Eastern culture, but in the West, people get segmented off. And, and when they feel worthless, they got nobody to whisper to them, that's a lie. Yeah. You know, you, you matter. And um, in fact, I was thinking like, I almost wanted to tweet out something like, you know, the, the world needs to hear your voice. You know, don't leave. You know, yeah, and, exactly. Uh, yeah. I think I think a lot of reason for the suicides is they're homesick. They're yeah. homesick. They want to go home. They're like, it's not nice. Or, or they even want a sense of home. And and a, a lot of the way I grew up, that that kind of concept was going home meant to leave this world. Yeah. And and it was like, oh, Jesus came to give us the abundant life, but you have to die to get it. No. And it's like, no, 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 no. But we have this longing to belong. Exactly. Because we're wired for it. And that's home. And that's so true. I even, I even texted, first thing this morning, I texted my, the pastor of the church here in the area. And I'm like, do we have a welcome home sign right in the front door? You know, like as they walk in to see that welcome home. Because I, I ended up going to the rainbow gathering after uh -huh. I after I met you in June, I, I went to the rainbow gathering just to like, because uh, the Lord put it on my heart to do that. Sure. And, and so as I, as I get there, they have a big sign right in the front, like welcome home. And they're like, you know, that's what they say is, and they greet you and they just yeah. love you. And, you know, as you're parting ways, like um, loving you, that's how they would part ways. That's their goodbye. Loving you. You know, it's just so beautiful. So great. That's so great. That's so I, Jesus. It is. Yeah. I had such um, kindred spirits there, you know, <laughs> just all these loving, loving people. I mean, I prayed with people, talked with them. I learned from them. They poured into my life. You know, that was a surprise to me yeah. more than I expected. I was like, wow, this is amazing. Well, you know, but, but none of it's actually real because they're not believers. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what we were told growing up. I know. You know, it would be like, well, you know, they don't really know how to love because they're separated from God and, and God is love. And if they're separated from God, they don't know how to love. And therefore 
the love that they have for their children is not like for real love. It's not like the way that we love our children. It's what kind of BS is that? I mean, it, it is, but <laughs> that was the, it is, but that was the indoctrination mm-hmm. that was part of the religious community that created an identity that was opposed to the other. And it's an absolute violation of truth, violation of Jesus, violation, because every religion needs separation in order to exist. But the truth of reality is there's never been any separation. Yeah, you know, all, all of creation is created in Christ. And so you'll not meet a person who's not already in Christ, whether they know it or not. And that, that includes religious people as much as it is anybody else. You know, oh, yeah. your, your experience of being a home is connected to how open your eyes are to the home that you're surrounded by. And, um, and again, I mean, that applies to everybody, but you're not going to meet a person who's not in Christ and you're not, and you're not going to meet a person who's not a child of God, which is offensive for a lot of my people because Mm -hmm. it was like, how could you say they're children of God? Well, I'm only saying what scripture says, you know, and if, if you want to read it, it's all over the place, but look in Acts 17 where Paul gets up to pagans and he tells them two unbelievably beautiful things. One is, you are all children of God. Therefore, being God's child, and then he goes on from there, but he also says, just like your poets have written, in him you live and move and have your being. Did they, that's a hymn to Zeus. He's using you know, their, their pagan poet who could see the truth of something and that is that all of creation lives and moves and has its being inside the relationship of the father son and holy spirit and specific inside of jesus everything that is visible and invisible every created thing was created in him jesus and is now sustained held together this is colossians 1 16 and 17. so so you know we come with a mentality of going to the Rainbow Coalition as if we're not going to go to family, as if we're not going to go to people who are children of God and they move and live and have their being in him. And frankly, a lot of them are a lot kinder and nicer and express the character and nature of God better than a lot of religious people because we're so stuck up on our crap that mm-hmm. we don't know how to love well. Yeah. Because one, we're trying to do it rather than understanding that it's our very nature to love. So we're trying to perform love instead. And, mm. and we're doing it from a mentality of, you know, superiority and judgment. And I mean, we're not trying to be judgmental, but if, if you believe in separation and an us, them thing, right. you're going to sit in the seat of judgment. Yeah. And that's totally what I wanted to talk about today was the us. Oh, good. <laughs> was the us and them, you know, mentality. Oh, it's been the ooh. cause of so many wars and, and things like this. You know, you mentioned a couple of scriptures that I just absolutely love that have shaped my paradigm. You know, uh, my my worldview is is Acts 17. In Him we live and move and have our being. Yeah, and we are His offspring, and um, and just being in Christ. You know, it's so beautiful. And the Lord even gave me a vision of that, of like um, that we're all cells in His body, um, even the ones who don't believe who are dead in their trespasses and sins. They can be a dead cell in the body of Christ. They're in Christ, but the resurrection and the life is on a mission to revive them, to yeah. bring them life. And, and death is a, is a mythology. It's, 
it doesn't have any existential existence or it doesn't have any ontological existence. That is ontology is just being B E I N G. There, there is nothing about death that has its own being. It seems to, because we've personified it in so many different ways, Hmm. but uh, death can't exist without life existing first. Even the, the idea of it can't. And, um, but life can exist without death. So, you know, and that's true for everything that is ontologically real. That is, truth can exist without a lie, but you can't lie unless there's first a truth. And uh, freedom can exist without bondage or wholeness can exist without loss or pain or suffering, Hmm. you know? And, but, but the converse can't. You know, bondage can't exist without freedom. Um, darkness can't exist without light. Death can't exist without life. You know, and so everything that is actually real originates in the character and nature of God. And we brought all this other crap to the table. Yeah, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, we did. We're uh, the perpetrators. Yes, but there is grace and healing for the perpetrator and the perpetrated upon for the victim and the victimizer, the beauty of redemption. So nice. Yeah. Well, we have a, we have a human being in whom we live and move and have our being. And that human being has been restored to the place of authority. And so that's where our hope lies is, is in this Jesus who is fully human and fully God. But in him, there's no us and them. I mean, yeah. yeah. Interestingly, like loving your neighbor as yourself, I've come to see it as kind of like, well, you are loving an, an aspect of yourself. If we're all one yeah. in him, these are all just different versions of, of you and of God. We're all fractals of the soul of God, as I like to say. So like in um, Matthew 25, it says, uh, you do this to the least of these, you've done it to me. Yeah. Whether you realized it or not. Because every one of these precious people are children of God. You won't meet a person who's not a child of God. Yeah. You, it just, for them to, and for them to not be in Christ would be to lapse into non-being. And when I say that, I'm quoting the early church. I'm Irenaeus mm-hmm. and Athanasius and all these, all, all these folks back in the first few hundred years. Yeah. They said, it's absurd to think that there's any element of creation that is not in Christ. And, uh, and so the, the work, all the work, including the delusion and the pain and the suffering and loss, all of it's happening inside of Christ. Yeah, and, and there was no suffering in the Trinity prior to us showing up, <laughs> us being created. So we brought that to the table. And this is not a God who runs from it. This is a God who runs into it. Yes, he does. He runs right into the, the midst and thickness of our, of our pain, into the rivers of, of suffering. That, yeah, without being the originator of, of evil in any sense. God, God never justifies the means because the ends happen to be good. Right. right? And you can't say the ends justify the means. You can't. And, um, and so it's a lot of, a lot of my people... We just assume that the ends justified the means so that if, you know, if your child dies that, oh, this is part of God's plan, you know, or this is ordained by God. It's like, no, no, God is only good and cannot act apart from love. 
And it's like, so that, so the fact that God's a redeeming genius and can work good out of terrible situations does not justify the, the evil that perpetuated the terrible situation to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one thing I want to bring up here is just the importance of the one, because the Bible says, you know, if one suffers, then all suffer, you know, if one succeeds, yeah. then it's a success for all. And, and, what and I'll leave the 99 to go find the one. Yeah. What happens to the one is it matters. Jesus stops for the one to make sure they're loved and affirmed, you know, and he doesn't have, he doesn't, he isn't going out of his way to do so. No, that's directly in his way. That is his way. Um, yeah. And one of the things that the Lord showed me was that the hosts of heaven and Jesus, they're on mission to rescue all the lost and the fallen. There's a great verse in second Samuel 14, 14. Our lives are I love that verse. It's one of my yeah, favorites. <laughs> yeah. So our lives are like water poured out on the dry ground that gets just sucked up, you know. Mm. But God never takes away life, but always works so that the banished one will be restored. Yeah. Always works to find a way. Yeah. That he the devises, one... devises ways to bring us back to himself, as my translation puts it. Sure. sure. I love that. Yeah, yeah, me too. But but the first part is powerful. God doesn't take away life. Yeah. God God doesn't use death to accomplish good means. That's you can't justify death. It's the darkness that we brought to the table. Mm. The fact that God can climb into death and and through what we brought save the cosmos or reconcile the cosmos to himself, not counting their sins against them. Yeah. The fact that God can do that is a redemptive genius, but it never justifies the evil, never justifies death, you no. know, never justifies the cross. Yeah, I think that there's certain people that really need to hear that. Like, like I he, did. Yeah, that he grieves with you for all that you've suffered. He grieves with <laughs> me for you know my yeah. parents' divorce and or whoever else for whatever they've gone through. Yeah. In our life, broken family. If, if you think that evil is part of God's plan, or you think that that's what's ordained, then God has absolutely no right to be angry about it. And he has, and the Holy Spirit has no right to be grieved by it. Mm. Right. It's like, why you're the, you're the problem here. I mean, you, this is part of your plan. And it's like, no, something's wrong. And what's wrong is that we presume upon God we project upon God the brokenness of our own hearts and paint his face, paint the face of God with the face of our own disaster. And then, and then accuse God of, of being a big tyrant like we would like to be if we had the power. Oh, yeah. Well, how, lo how lost are we? Thank the Lord that love is on the throne, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then we get to submit and surrender to love. That's why I often share that message. Where's, where's the throne? The throne is right here. Boom. Yeah, there you go. So it's not like love is on the throne if we could just get to him. No. That's Christ in you. Yeah. Like, and this is Baxter's favorite verse, right? John 14, 20. 20 yeah. or 21. But That's it's um, 20. These are the three things the Holy Spirit will teach you. I am in the Father. You are in me. And I am in you. Yeah. And, uh, and not just that, not just that love lives in you, is it you were created by, 
for and in the image and likeness of love. Therefore, that's the truth about who you are ontologically. You just don't know it. So you don't function out of the truth of who you are. You function out of the delusion that you think you are. And for a lot of us, religion told us that we're a piece of crap. That's, that's the truth of our being. And yeah. it's like, well, then good luck performing or doing anything but trying to perform because you're just trying to cover up the fact you're a piece of crap. That's all. Yeah. We're all in various stages of identity confusion. You know, like, like the Bible has this phrase, they're hopelessly confused, but he's yeah. coming to undo all of that and, and to give, give us our sight back. And, and the Bible says that the last enemy to be defeated is death, which is the sense of separation, which never really existed to begin with. He did. He defeated it. He did. Yes. Yeah. yeah now, and it, now we're waking up to the truth of what was accomplished, you know? Yeah. And that, that's the journey we're on. You know, I, I, on the one hand, you might wish that God would, you know, snap God's fingers and fix you. But that's not, as soon as God would do that, there would be no more space for love because love submits to the other and doesn't coerce response and, and, you know, walks with the other as the other makes choices, respects and dignifies the other, even if the choices are bad and mm -hmm. hurtful and harmful. And um, um, as much as on the one hand, we'd like extreme soul makeover, especially for those people. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, it's not true. We don't. We would rather be loved to wholeness than forced to it. You know, this is not about magic. This is about relationship. So, amen to that. I love that. Yeah. yeah so do it's I. Been, been quite so a lovely, I. lovely journey, and it's it's exciting to see how this journey is happening for Travis too. You know, the Lord's really affirmed His love for him, and like, hey you know, highlighted him like, Hey, you're important. You matter. You're enough. You know, Christ in him. Like he was telling me, uh, this uh, powerful encounter with Jesus he had back in the beginning of 2017. It was just amazing. It was like, maybe I'll interview him about it someday. I'm sure. I'm sure it was. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, so when I was praying, Paul, I mentioned to this to you earlier, uh, about what I said, father, what's on your mind for us to talk about today? And I, and I just had this, this phrase, you know, it's like associated with Christmas, but it's peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That was the message that the Lord put on my heart. And then, you know, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end, you know, from Isaiah nine. Yep. And just this, this beautiful thing about his kingdom expanding to fill the whole earth. Like, you know, I'm reminded of Jesus parable. This is like an unstoppable thing that is put into motion here. Sure. You know, where he says, um, the kingdom of heaven is like the yeast, a woman used in making bread, even though she put a little yeast and three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. Of course, I highlighted the woman there. Cause I'm like, I'm thinking of Holy spirit. <laughs> sure. Or God, the father. Oh, God. <laughs> or God. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that, that means uh, that means a lot to me too. Just to know that that the Lord is like your perfect mother, perfect father. I mean, El Shaddai is like a, a name for God, uh, like breasted one, all sufficient one. You know, like He's everything. Yeah. Like you're the helpless baby, and He's the nursing mama. Yeah, and you got you get everything you need from Him, and you're completely dependent. And it's that's wonderful. That's how it should be. Yeah.
Yeah, so. whose who's breasts did Adam nurse at? <laughs> yeah, if indeed he was. Oh, uh, no, he was, he was like Jesus. He was just created like a 22-year-old. <laughs> God stuck a chip in him so he knew not to walk into a tree and where to poop, you know? It's like, really? Come on. You always imagine it that way, don't you? Well, yeah, because we don't realize how much space there is inside story. Yes. And, uh, and if Jesus is the second Adam, you'd think a lot about the first Adam would be very similar, you know? Uh, yeah, I love, I love just the idea of story. It's creating a context for experience and, and mainly experiencing. You know, I was thinking about your, your book, The Shack, of course, and Eve, which is a, a wonderful book. Um, bring it back to Travis. He mentioned like, hey, with today's culture, you know, they don't, they're not, you know, the younger kids maybe aren't as into reading books. Um, maybe you should make another film. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a conversation. In fact, I'm going to have one in about a month um, with a bunch of folks uh, about Eve. And, and um, All right. there's, there's a lot of people interested. Eve would make a fantastic big show. Big movie. I think so. I think so too. Um, yeah. Crossroads would make a great television show, you know, yeah. a, a series. But uh, but Eve, it has all the elements of fantastic and fantasy, science fiction, edgy kind of. Uh -huh. But it's got this beautiful wrenching storyline, and um, and I told the publishers when I wrote Eve, which was frankly, the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Shack and Crossroads were a piece of cake. Eve was rough. But, um, and partly is because I'm actually dealing with text. You know, with Crossroads and the Shack, I can just make up whatever I want to and deal with the concepts and stuff. And, uh, but, but with Eve, I'm actually working on the Genesis narrative. And that's a river that they're that is occupied by many boats and many swimmers. And so, I, you know, and out of respect, if nothing else, it's just like, all right, I have to weave the story in such a way that it is, that it is, uh, has continuity um, and is legit to, to both the language and the history and the traditions and all that. So, uh, but I told the publishers, I said, you know, Eve isn't for the older generations right now. The, the, they didn't grow up with Avatar and Lord of the Rings, you know, uh, like the young people did. That's the young people's world is, is this imagery-based world, whether they're gamers or whatever. And it's, it's like Eve, Eve will connect to that. And it has. That's exactly what's happened. And I mean, there are, there are some of the us older generations who, who were avid readers or were science fiction fans or George McDonald fantasy fans or whatever, who can connect to Eve really well. But usually it takes an older person a little while to get, because they're used to the shack or crossroads and that's much more obvious fiction. But, but Eve is a little different and, um, and it pushed, pushed people a little harder uh, to get there. But I think once you get there, it's, it's, it turns out to be my kids' favorite of the books. And Crossroads is Kim's favorite. And so the shack is running third in my family at the moment. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I, I love them all. I, I loved Eve in particular. It was, it was really fa fantastic, especially how you wrapped it up in the end. Thank you. Yeah, the last five chapters are among the fav most favorite thing I've ever done. Yeah. Of Eve, yeah. Yeah, it's fun.
And Lies has been really great too. Oh yes. And are you working on any other writing projects? Two of them. Yeah, right now. One of them is the working title is the, the art of learning to walk in one day's grace. Oh my gosh. That's what I was going to ask you about today too. I wanted to talk about that living yeah. in grace for one day, one day. I know so it's talk, become talk this absolutely centerpiece for my life. You know, people say, well, what are your spiritual disciplines? You know, I was telling somebody, in fact, I was writing to them this morning because they were going like, I'm really struggling with devotions and all this stuff. And I go like, eh, I quit all that stuff long time ago. It works for some people, but I think a lot fewer than actually will admit. And, uh, but I said, you know, when I tried to have a quiet time, God and I would show up, but it's like neither of us had anything to say. And then one of us would fall asleep and it wasn't always me. <laughs> so there was like, no. And, and to me, partly it's because it represents the split between the secular and the sacred. Like, like ooh, devotions and quiet time and prayer and all that. That's, that's you doing spiritual stuff. And then you get to live the rest of your life, you know, disconnected rather than, no, you live and move and have your being in him. How can you do anything that isn't an integration between your, your spirit, soul, and body? And, uh, and so um, this grace for the day thing is really my only spiritual discipline. It's, it, is, it is a focused intent to simply stay inside of one day's grace. And grace would be the empowering presence of relentless affection, right? The, it's, grace would be another name for the Holy Spirit. So, so I get grace for one day. That's what Jesus says. Sufficient to the day is the grace. Yeah. And he says, take no thought for tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough issues of its own. And I coined a term, um, that I've actually seen on a beer now, <laughs> of course, in Oregon, and uh, a microbrew. And it's, uh, it's, the term was future tripping. And, mm. um, and that was, and I'm probably sure somebody else used it a long time ago, but, but for me, it was new. And it captured the idea of creating imaginations that don't exist, on which we put all of our attention. Because future tripping is fear-based. You know, it's in a... It's, it's fear-based or shame-based, but it's, it is, you create in your, and this is what tells me that every single human being is a creative because anybody who worries is a creative being, <laughs> you know, because, because you can create every sort of imagination. And the, my friend who I was writing this to this morning, she's stuck and she's, she's a young person. And so she's in her twenties and but she's stuck and she's stuck because she can't determine what future path to take. And, and every one of them has outcomes and she's imagined them all. Hmm. You know, if I do this, then this, 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 if I do this, then this, 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 right? All future tripping. None of it is about staying inside the grace of the day. And that is don't, don't be trying to respond to things that don't exist. Actually respond to what's in front of you because this is the real world. Yeah. You know, you could be dead by tomorrow and all that worrying and all those imaginations. I mean, they, they, they're for naught. 
They're usually for naught anyway, because control is <laughs> a myth. And, and this is where the root of it is. Uh, when you deal with fear, you got, a, you got a choice. You can either find a way to control, even the imagination of control, or you can trust. And we're such control freaks that uh, we don't trust. We don't know how to trust. Trust was destroyed in us. Our ability was, you know, really clamped down on or something. So we're control freaks. And future tripping is a method for control. And it's like, I don't want to do that. It's such a waste of time. And, and we do this in unbelievable ways. I had another friend last week. I went to lunch with him. And he was telling me how mad he was at his wife. And because she made me get a dog, you know, that kind of thing. You know, she pestered me until I said yes. And it's like, oh, one, you don't own the fact that you said you agreed to it. So now, you know, you're, you're holding on to all this stuff. And he's talking about how, yeah, and now I got to clean up the poop. And so, but here's the deal. When he comes to that little pile of dog poop today, it's not just a little pile of dog poop. It's every pile of dog poop he's ever picked up and every pile he's going to pick up forever because he's in hell, you know? Oh, yeah. And, uh, and so, so he's future tripped this pile of dog poop <laughs> into something absolutely huge. And that's the basis of his anger, you know? It, and, and, he, and he's like, it's just a pile of dog poop. But really, it's way more than that because it's, every pile that he's eventually going to have to pick up for the rest of eternity. And, and he's mad at her about that. So he's not actually living in the grace of the day. He's piling up his history plus his imagined future all into this little pile of dog poop and it's pissing him off. And, and it's like, Hmm. Okay. It's, it's interesting that you bring that up because my friend, he kind of had a a little vision of a, a pile of dog poop and these flowers and and like he's just like oh that's so gross like oh and holy spirit's like why are you looking at the poo (laughs) yeah what do you think the flowers came out of (laughs) shift your attention to the flowers they're right there for you to enjoy you know and and i I, it's interesting how like our conversation is kind of weaving with everything i've prepared already for it you know like um i i I have this scripture ready uh, in philippians 4 and a quote for you too about um, worry, you know, uh, that I wrote in one of my songs. All your worry is a fear you've borrowed from how the enemy has framed tomorrow. Yeah. And or, Jesus, as, or as John O'Donohue, the poet yeah. says, and I was listening to John O'Donohue have a conversation with Krista Tippett on, on being, which I love. And, and this is before he passed away. And he said, you know, I'm of the opinion that almost all stress is a perverted relationship to time. Hmm. And I went, bingo, that's exactly right. Almost all stress is a perverted relationship to time because the present is right here. But if you don't stay here, you, you can't respond to what's actually in front of you. You'll be gone into some future tripping imagination, some worry, some whatever. And we've so baptized worry that we've given it a name. We call it responsibility. That's what we did. And so when people talk about their responsibilities, a lot of times they're talking about their future tripping worries. And, um, 
And so the, the passage, is it the passage that you're talking about was the one, take captive every empty imagination, that one? Or is it a different one? Well, yeah, in Philippians 4, and, and, and usually when I quote it and when I share it with people, it starts out with like, don't worry about anything. But I just want to back up just a few verses because it kind of ties into something I, I want to take us into here. I was going to read a little bit of scripture just for our listeners' sake from Philippians 4. It says, uh, Philippians 4, starting verse 4, be cheerful with joyous celebration in every season of life. Let joy overflow for you are united with the anointed one. Let gentleness be seen in every relationship, for our Lord is ever near. Don't be pulled into different directions or worried about a thing. Be saturated in prayer throughout each day, offering your faith-filled requests before God with overflowing gratitude. Tell him every detail of your life. Then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will make the answers known to you through Jesus Christ. So keep your thoughts continually. This is this part is really important. I share this with my friends all the time. So keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real, honorable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind, and fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising him always. Follow the example of all that we have imparted to you, and the God of peace will be with you in all things. What a wonderful passage to live. It's great, by. and it starts with joy, and joy is the marker for me. Yes. If, if joy is absent, I'm not present, because in the presence is fullness of joy. So if joy is absent, I'm not present. That means I'm future tripping somewhere, because oh joy God. is always present. Joy is always a companion. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, no, if all of a sudden I'm freaking out yeah. and I'm future tripping, I lose this, the connection and contact with joy. And joy is not giddy happiness. Joy is that underlying assurance of being at home, being inside that embrace. And it's there whether you're facing really difficult things. And so, you know, as you're reading that passage, I'm thinking about, the person who's just lost their child, hmm. right? And, and, and it's going like, set, set your attention on the things that are good. And it talks about gratitude and joy. And they're going like, how, right? Hmm. And, and because the world is not roses, it's also thorns, you know? And, um, and it's like, ah, oh, okay. Can joy, is joy, more fundamentally real than suffering? And the answer is yes. But we experience suffering, we experience loss, and those things are very real. And uh, so when, when we are in the midst of those things, we need to be present to it. We need to grieve when it's, when it's a grievous situation. We need to be furious when it's a wrong situation. You know, when, when a woman's playing a video game and gets shot by someone, it's wrong. And fury is the right response to it. But we can be furious and not sin. That is, we don't need to exacerbate the brokenness in the planet just because we're angry. Angry is the right response. God's angry a lot because things are wrong. But it's because the things that are wrong are hurting the ones that he loves. And and that's true for us. If we begin to see that everybody's included, there's no us and them, everybody's a child of God, that event not only hurt 
that family and that community, but it also hurt the man who pulled the trigger. I mean, and, and that ripple effect will continue to go. Both are precious in the heart. Both are children. Both God grieves with regard to and, and is angry because there is a brokenness that is inside of that set of events that hurts yeah. the ones that God loves. Yeah. And if we get really real with some of these topics, you know, about people grieving these, these pains, I mean, I'm reminded of one story I heard. It's, it's in one of my interviews with Bill Vanderbush. Um, but he shared about this woman he knows who's now in ministry full time, but, but um, she's, she started out just a very broken, uh, broken woman uh, because she was raped by like these three guys or whatever. And Jesus actually took her in a vision back to those three guys. And, and she's like, and she's like, Jesus, why are you showing me this? Why are you showing me this? And, 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 and Jesus just had tears in his eyes and, and she felt his compassion for them, for these guys. Ooh, I've got something to read to you. It's a very short thing, but I can, and I can okay. find it pretty quick because this is the kind of, this is the kind of attitude that happens and emerges as we learn to sit in the truth and stay present to the situation. And um, it's, um, it is a, it's, it's a little piece of paper. It was a wrapping paper um, that when they opened up Ravensbrück, which was a German concentration camp after World War II, when they finally um, freed those who were left there, but on a piece of wrapping paper, they found this written, quote, Lord, remember not only the men and women of goodwill, but also those of ill will. But do not remember all the suffering they have inflicted upon us. Remember rather the fruits that we bore thanks to the suffering, our comradeship, our loyalty, our humility, the courage, the generosity, the greatness of heart, that has grown out of this. And when they come to judgment, let all the fruits that we have borne be their forgiveness. Well, that's just beautiful. Oh um, my God. And two, it, it shows that this life isn't all there is. I mean, it, it shows that this is like soul boot camp, right. you know, like baby boot camp. And I mean, we're progressing really fast, really far because it's kind of, it's such a tough place. Yeah. And, Nobody gets away with anything. That's yeah. the, that's the truth. And and I'm very glad that God is a f consuming fire. You yeah. know, in my life, I'm very glad. Yeah. And that this consuming fire is out to destroy everything that is in me that is not of love's kind. Yeah. And that's true for every person. Because I, yeah. why? They're their child. I don't want anything to hurt my child or my grandchild. I don't. And I will, I'll do anything that I'm able to do to prevent it and stop it. And where does that kind of fury come from? And it's, a, it's not because I don't love my child, it's because I do love my child. And um, so part of, part of the character and being of God that I'm very appreciative of is this consuming fire. Not, it's not against those people because all people are a child of God. So it's against what is in them and me that prevents love from being experienced. It's the darkness that we brought to the table that the whole, only the Holy Spirit is brilliant enough to, to extract 
from our brokenness in such a way that we don't get damaged even further. Yeah, I, I saw, I, I actually rejoiced at just the, the redemptive thought recently about him being the all-consuming fire. Like all, all are included in the consuming fire. You know, Every, like, oh. Everyone gets salted with fire. And yeah. salt and fire are both redemptive. That is, they're both cleansing and purifying. Salt is a preservative and, and fire is a cleansing agent. And, um, and everyone gets salted with fire. Why? Because God doesn't like anyone? No, because God loves everyone. Yes. And so everyone gets salted with fire so that that which is not living and real and good and right gets burned away. And when that fire comes through your life now or later, and you're opposed to the goodness that is being worked in you, that tension will create a hellish environment. And so, um, yeah. Yeah. We can get into a big subject there. Even with the Holocaust, um, you know, you read something from that. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, they're, once they tasted the compassionate heart of God and they're forgiving towards their oppressors, you know, and how, what a healing reconciliation I'm, I'm imagining happening in the afterlife um, for them as well. Well, it might not be that easy, you know, because reconciliation is the process in which you own your stuff and you change. Mm-hmm. And just because you die doesn't mean you've owned your stuff. It's kind of like we've made death both a monster and our salvation. You know, we have this imagination about the power of death that Jesus actually came and destroyed. And it's, we've made it a, a monster, that which determines our eternal destiny. Like it's stronger than life. It's stronger than Jesus. It's stronger than God. And we've made it our salvation. That is, when I die, then I'm freed from all this crap and stuff that still is part of the choices that I make, you know? And it's like, oh, uh, no, no, you're going to get salted with fire. Wood, hay, and stubble is going to get burned away. And that's a post-mortem passage, not a pre-mortem passage. Although mm-hmm. a lot of us go through hell here, let me tell you. What do they say? Um, religious people believe in hell, but spiritual people have been there? Yes. Yeah. And I've been there. <laughs> Me too. Me too. And, we, and see, yeah. being there, you really, we have such compassion f- for others. Like, we don't want to see anybody without hope. That's, that's just unacceptable that there should be anybody without hope. And if, if this gospel doesn't apply to Hitler in some way, you know, sure. then it's falling short. So yeah. wow. the, most, the most confused delusional people that are that are denying their own identity of love right yeah yeah so to use an early church a model sort of idea imagination in a sense what if post-mortem hitler has to build a relationship with every family and person that he harmed and own what he did and hear the losses and the tragedy of the choices that he made and how it rippled and include every person in that chain of command that that was involved whether they felt coerced to be or not who who knows how all of this will be worked out but reconciliation is is different than forgiveness forgiveness is 
for the sake of the victim, but reconciliation is for the sake of the perpetrator. Right on. <laughs> Excuse me. That's okay. I do that to get blessings. So Bless you. Oh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> yes, and all our listeners are blessing you too. <laughs> oh, and I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. So, wow. This has been a lovely conversation, you know. Um, and just thinking about some of the evils in the world too and just what our response should be you know yeah um, i have i have a friend who's kind of concerned uh, about islam for instance you know and the, the sharia law and, and the you know the, their injustices you know crimes against humanity and, and such things that they they do or whatever and i just and i'm telling them i'm telling them like there's a way of the tree of life way to approach to that rather sure. than the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And I remind them of Philippians four, you know, whatever's pure and lovely think in these things, you know, and where's your focus, right? And yeah. get them worked up. Well, compassion is a combination of, of anger and grief. And, and it's right. I mean, that's the heart of God who is the compassionate one to use a phrase that is absolutely attributable to Allah in Islam. And uh, one of the things that I would suggest to your friend is to read Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson, the, a book that just came out recently about how our legal system and its you know, incarceration processes and practices and how delusional and off-based our own system is and, um, and coercive and manipulative and destructive. And, and you know, I, I get... The, the heart that he would have towards injustice, period. And, you know, we live in a world that's broken. My ability to respond is only inside of what's in front of me and what's happening today. Right. And a lot of times, this is where future tripping comes in again. We just get, we get sucked into the myriad of losses in the world and it freezes us to respond to what's actually in front of us. And, and we think that some kind of imagined response to the great evils of the world makes the way we love the child that's in front of us pale in comparison. And it's like, no, 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 you don't understand. The child in front of you is the real world, in your real world right now. The doing the dishes, the, the having to care for a spouse that, no longer can function very well the you know because frankly if if it's the holy spirit who opens up a way to address some of those issues in a way that is helpful you got to let the holy spirit open it up or else you're going to force a way uh, your way into it and i'm i'm just here to tell you that at the end of the day it'll feel like grist in your mouth it'll feel like you know you've just chewed gravel and and, um, and you'll go like, oh, you know what? M my ways aren't the best ways. And, and if there is a, and here you're going back to trust. Is there a God who is involved in human affairs because of the love of this God for each one? Is there a God who's actually involved? And then the question is, if I can say yes to that, my question is, may I participate? Yeah. And then it's like, okay, yeah. so inside the grace of today, I'll tell you, 
part of my participation this day, today, is that I have three grandchildren coming to spend the night. And my participation is to love them well. And my loving them well and loving Kim well and, and uh, one of my kids who's not feeling well, you know, all of these things will ripple, ripple into the cosmos because they matter. Absolutely. And, and yeah, I don't know how to address some of the great losses and I get exposed to them in ways that a lot of people don't just because I yes, wrote this book, you know, yeah. and, and I grieve for them. I, I feel them more than I've ever felt, but I also do not take them on as a responsibility. I know I can't heal or save anybody and I know I can't fix it, mm-hmm. but I can respond inside the grace of this day to what's actually in front of me and trust that my participation matters in the grand scheme of things. And that as other ways open up, like when Croatia called, contacted me, the country of Croatia, the Ministry of Culture, hmm. and said, you know, our country's really broken. Would you come speak to our country? Wow. And I did. I got to speak to the country of Croatia, you know, and, and it was because of the shack. Well, I didn't know that was going to happen. Yeah. You know, I wrote the shack as a gift for my kids. And inside the grace of the day, it did everything I wanted it to do. And who would have thought that I got to speak to something on such a huge scale as that? I didn't know. And, but I'm glad I didn't know. I'd rather live inside the grace of this day and learn how to trust the goodness of a God who's inside the details of our lives and the wisdom of this God than try to rely on mine. Right on. I've, I've learned that same thing too about, you know, Philippian or actually from Proverbs, lean not in your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. I mean, he, we hit the wisdom of Christ, right? The mind of Christ. We have access to that and we, we mustn't just rely on our, our own dullard thinking. It'll lead us into trouble and into false judgments and things. But I'd also tell your friend that obviously something is being stirred up in your heart. And, and I would say, yeah, the Holy Spirit's tampering, tampering with some things. Uh, and, uh, and, but I, I frame it inside of trust rather than inside of mission. Right. You know, and, uh, because that I'm, t- I'm a missionary kid, preacher's kid. I'm telling you mission can kill you. And, um, and so it's like, okay, yes, be stirred up because that, that, that kind of stirring up against things that are wrong originate in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's where that kind of thing originates. So you're sharing in, in that with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What that means and how to address it, that's a journey of trust where you let it unfold inside the grace of one day at a time. Yeah. And if, if God purposes your involvement, you want God to be the one that opens the different doors and, 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 and unfolds it. Otherwise, you're going to figure out your own purpose and create a ministry out of it. You know, shoot, that's all we need is more of those, you know? <laughs> and, right. and it's, and then it's like, Oh yeah, God, where was he? You know, Oh, he's with me, but he's just not doing anything. So I got to do it. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with that. Not the yeah. best way to live. Yeah. It comes back to uh, even in uh, Philippians four, where it says, um, you know, fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God. You know, I, I was thinking too, I was researching about what God is doing in the Muslim world, for instance, you know, one seventh of the world's population or something. I don't know, how, you know, one billion Muslims who identify as Muslim, but God is revealing himself 
to to Muslims and dreams and they're encountering yeah. him miraculously without, without our without us getting involved. Yeah. I mean, what's with that? Yeah. <laughs> and 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 in Iran, you know, when there was how can we take credit for that? <laughs> exactly. When there was hardly any believers like 30 some years ago or whatever, you know, um, yeah. now there's 800, 800,000, yeah. you know, out of, out of however many million, I think it's, uh, yeah, but it's just amazing. And even with, with people who are partnering with Jesus, like Heidi Baker, you know, she's seeing thousands of Muslims come to Christ and be baptized. And it's just, we know. just got, we just got to stop being Christians. I think that would really <laughs> help. I do. I think, you know, be a Christian when it's helpful, but most yeah. of the time it's not helpful. And that's because Christianity has become a religion. And, and that is not an identity that a child of God was supposed to take on. Je Jesus didn't come to start a religion because yeah. God doesn't, God's not religious at all. God's not a perpetrator of religion in any sense. It's all about relationship. Yeah. And, um, and we just got stuck inside of an us-them moniker of Christianity. And therefore, we don't even know how to relate to someone who comes from a different faith tradition other than be opposed to that tradition based on our tradition. And it's right. like, great. You, there's no way to cross that divide until you get outside of your religious, Western, political, white, May, whatever, whatever your boxes are, you know, whatever your biases and prejudices are consumed by and your identity that is not Jesus. And, and it's like, no, be a follower of Jesus. Let, let an Islamic person be an Islamic follower of Jesus. Let a Buddhist be a Buddhist follower of Jesus. You know, I even know Christians who are followers of Jesus. <laughs> and uh, it's like, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're a follower of Jesus. Trust me. You know, you can, you can fake like you are because that's what you think. But remember, Jesus says, look, many will say to me, I did all this stuff in your name. You know, I preached and I cast out demons and I healed the sick. And I mean, and he'll go like, I don't know you. Right. Mm -hmm. And we substituted the form of religion that we thought was the best Christianity for a relationship which is way too mysterious and messy. And, um, and it's like, no, maybe we could just take, you know, a hundred year break from being Christians and just be people who love Jesus, recognizing that everybody around us is, lives and moves and has their being in him and right. that they're all children of God yeah. in Christ. That they're, they're children of God. They're partnering with God and, and whatever avenues that their passion is. You know, yeah. I have, I have a good friend who's like, he's into like remodeling his house and just reshaping it, you know, and just how he likes and like, you're partnering with God in that. Absolutely. So yeah. see, if we live right. and move and have our being, you, you're not going to get away from it, nor can you get away from the love of God. Right on. Yeah. Cool. Well, Paul, I wanted to thank you so much for your time. I don't know if you're there's welcome. anything else you wanted to share, but I kind of went through my notes here. I didn't have any, so this is great. <laughs> I'm at the end of mine. <laughs> All right. And I just had one last question for you. This comes sure. from Kendra. Um, and she says, what is your favorite experience with God that you've ever had? Ooh. We'll end with that. <laughs> oh, boy, that is, that is multi-layered in so many different ways. 
my favorite experience. You know, that's, that's asking me, what was your favorite sunset? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like, uh, well, there was no, no, well, you know, I've had, I've had very simple, absolutely stunning experiences in terms of just like, like, oh, here's one, just one of them. Okay. I go for a walk on my dad's 80th birthday, which was uh, nine years ago. And my dad and I have had, we haven't had a father son relationship our entire lives. And that's because he just, I mean, his capacity to father was destroyed in him by his dad and then his father before him. And so, you know, I, I spent a chunk of my life looking for a father figure and it constantly got me into woeful boundary breaking cycles of yuck. And, um, and, and I, and so over my lifetime, I worked my way out of that therapy helped and crashing and burning helped and becoming a truth teller helped and dealing with my religious ideology helped. And, um, so I'm going for a walk and I almost, I've never heard God speak audibly to me, but I, I have the conversations all the time. And I, it's almost like God puts his arm around me and says, Paul, you know, your dad, I go, yeah, I know my dad, you know, and he's, and I hear God say, well, your dad, he hasn't known how to be a father for 60 years. He's not suddenly going to figure it out. And I said, yeah, I know that. And then I hear, well, if it's okay with you, I will be all that to you and more. And That's on funny. that night in my journey, that released me in a couple different ways. One, it released me from having to keep demanding from my dad that he show up as a father, right? So it released him to become a human being someone that I could build a relationship to and not load on all these expectations and history of his failing, of his not doing it right, and the implications of that in the brokenness of my own life. I mean, it was just like this massive thing, plus it just settled me right into this relentless embrace of, of affection. It's just like, all right. Oh my goodness, you know what? My family of origin wasn't my biological dad. My family of origin is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's true for every single human being on the planet. We are his children, right? That's our family of origin, Amen. which allowed me to move away from judgment and with regard to my dad and begin to relate to him as a human being, which has, has become a good, gentle kindness in my life um, without it becoming something that it couldn't be, you know? And yes, I grieve the loss. Yes, my dad should have been there. Yes, when there was a man in my life who said, I don't care how screwed up your choices are, I'm not leaving. That should have been my dad, right? Yes, all of those things. 
And yes, I forgive him. And I release him from my expectations. But I did it when I heard the voice of God say, I'll be all that to you and more. What you want, what you're looking for, the home, all of that, belonging, I'll be all that to you and more. If it's okay with you. <laughs> it's okay with me. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. So there's one. Yeah. That's, it's lovely. It is it's lovely. lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so Thanks, much. Thanks, Kendra. Paul. Yeah. That's that's a dear sister at 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 our church that just got healed from MS. The Lord just delivered her from the, all these symptoms of of suffering and pain, and and just she did, yeah, she was healed. So yeah. she shared that testimony from sweet from the front at church. Really cool. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for when the healing happens. I'm thankful when the healing is delayed. I'm thankful for when the healing happens post-mortem, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm, I'm always grateful, but we're not dealing with magic. We're dealing with a God who climbs into our lives one-on-one and, and works things out. So I'm aware that I love, and I believe that God heals, no question about it. But when a testimony is given, I know there are people that are just shattered inside because it didn't work for them kind of thing. Yeah. And, and there's actually a sermon that Bill Vanderbush gave about that at our church one time and about learning how to rejoice with others for yeah. their healing. Cause this is what's, it stifles it, you know, when we're not, when we're not yeah. recognizing that their healing is part of our healing. Absolutely. Know? And I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled yeah. to hear stuff like that. And, um, and I, and I have no problem believing in any of that. But I also, I also know that there are those who grieve. And I'm going to grieve with them and rejoice with those who rejoice. And, uh-huh. and just trust in the goodness of God in the midst of all this. But I pray for healing. I do. And, um, and I pray for others for healing. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't pray that people get sicker. I just don't. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a reason for that, you know, because the intention of God is always good and, and wholeness is much better than brokenness. Amen. Well, on that note, I just want to thank you all our listeners for, for watching. And if you want to support the Sozo Talk Radio, you can do so at, uh, there's links in the description, um, patreon.com slash reflect worship. Um, and also, uh, I don't know what else to share. <laughs> Anything else you want to share? I'm honored to be with you, Daniel. As always, thank you very much, and and love to Travis. And you know, yes. I'm grateful for the weaving of that story. So, and uh, enjoy the grace of this day, whatever wherever you are in the world, and what is left of it, because tomorrow you'll get new grace for whatever tomorrow holds. Right. And uh, and and may may you be surrounded by a sense of joy as you stay in the presence. Amen. Yes, in his presence, there's fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures evermore, the Bible tells us. So, well, thank you, Paul. Have a wonderful rest of your day. I will. I'm going to go visit my grandbabies. Great. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. God bless. Bye. Thank you.